and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this, the darkest timeline. I'm Lord Commander Ulrich, and with me as always is... His shield brother, Axel Wright. How are you doing today, Axel? I am doing well. I think the plague is finally gone. Be gone, Nurgle, and never come back. I was going to say, you don't sound like you're dying anymore. Uh, I've coughed a couple times, but generally speaking, I can read a chapter of a book out loud without having to pause, so... <laughs> That's the good life right there. Alright, on today's episode, we were talking about some of our favorite sci-fi shows. But, before that, I feel I have an important statement that I need to make. Important, quote-unquote. As many of you noticed, I'm not a huge fan of Batman, and I've never passed on the opportunity to mock him for being dull, poorly written, and a walking plot convenience. In all fairness, not always. Just plot. Not always. I will admit that. I'm saying recently, and we will discuss why I hate Batman so much at a later time. Now, many of you are aware of a fantastic YouTube series called Death Battles, which settles many of those schoolyard arguments of my character can beat your character using quote-unquote science. Well, even settles is quote-unquote, but it's always interesting, to say the least. Yes, and I agree for the most part they get it right. There have only been a handful of episodes I really disagree with. Agreed. But for the most part, their algorithm, I feel, has gotten better. Now, this month's episode, the premiere of Season 5, saw Batman go up against Black Panther. I thought this was a really interesting fight. If you haven't seen it, go watch it, and then come back. Yes, because Black Panther owned his underdeveloped ass, suck it, Batman. I, I was very happy to see that I was rooting for Black Panther. So, Well, all the gadgets Batman has, it ain't vibranium. Let's just face it. <laughs> well, here, so Batman is the only character now to appear in three death battles, right? Now, yes. his his first death battle versus Spider-Man is one of my favorites. I love the the analysis and the reasoning because Spider-Man really, when you get down to it, is a pretty broken character. The spider sense is is ridiculous and can cancels out like everything Batman could really do. So it made sense to me. Then uh, Batman versus Captain America. They had Batman win. Now, for a long time, I disagreed with that, and I felt I like, with it. well, I felt like they were pandering to Batman fans who felt like, um, who wanted to see him win. But now I've actually kind of turned around on that because the whole concept of Death Battle, right, is to take two characters at their peak, at their best against each other. And Captain America's thing is he's supposed to be the pinnacle of what a human can be he's not really super powered he's just supposed to be the best a human could possibly be and batman kind of is also that but plus all of his training and his genius intellect and his money so and maybe that's where we disagree batman i agree is the pinnacle of what a human could be i feel that captain america is supposed to be past that when you look at what he can do well sure but i'm just saying like the description of his powers is supposed to be that he is the, the literal peak of human capability. But even if we acknowledge that Captain America has better physical uh, attributes than Batman, Batman regularly beats people with much better physical attributes than him. So I'm yeah. not a Batman fan, but I have come around actually on Captain America versus Batman because I think, sure, if we pick Batman when he like lost to Bane, that version of Batman would lose to Captain America. But if the idea is take both these characters at their peaks, yeah, but, uh, since Batman can sneak up on Superman, the reasoning they give, that's pretty compelling evidence. 
So I was worried going to this one because I was like, well, if Batman beat Captain America, I don't know actually a whole lot about Black Panther, but uh, I didn't no. know that. Yeah, I didn't know Black Panther owned like a majority of Marvel characters in the past. Oh yeah, he's <laughs> so. taken on the entire. He's taken on the core group of the Avengers in single combat at the same time and won. Yeah. So I. Uh, so when they gave their reasoning, um, I I was happy with it. So and it, and yeah. it worked for me. And I watch uh, Death Battle Cast, which if you were a fan of Death Battle, you got to watch. It's great. It's hilarious. They went into detail about it. And they answered a lot of fan complaints going, what about this gadget? What about this gadget? What about this gadget? They took average on the street Batman. He's not going to, you know, he's not an Iron Man. He's not bringing the suit for every occasion with him everywhere he goes. One of the base rules of Death Battle is it's with whatever. Because, sure, if we gave Batman a dossier on Black Panther, uh, then, yeah. He could definitely win because that's Batman's thing. Give him time to repair and he can be anyone. But... Because then you have to give Black Panther that equal dossier. Correct. And they did the same thing with Spider Man. Uh, I think that if you gave them both the dossiers, I'd still give it to Batman because that's how he works. But if we take the two characters, no information about each other, and boom, put them against each other, different scenario entirely. Yeah. And they talked about the gadgets and like Vibranium. It's really hard to counter. Batman does not have anything in his arsenal at current to counter the vibranium plus i loved i didn't know this but so like i know that um uh, bruce wayne has i think 12 master's degrees right and yes because that and they were like oh and black panther has like four or five phds and i was like oh that's pretty comparable (laughs) so no black panther is a really cool character and honestly and again just then take another kick at batman Black Panther is an interesting Batman. He's a rich billionaire with dead parents who's super smart. <laughs> I like that this, is, this has become a thing for you to say something we talk about is a more interesting Batman. It was Megas like uh, two weeks ago, and now it's <laughs> Black Panther. Yes, because everyone is more interesting than Batman. <laughs> okay, I will say that like version of Batman I really like. I like... Uh, for the record, like I think Under the Red Hood, for instance, is one of my favorite Batman movies, quote-unquote. Uh, I love the Batman in like the new series of Justice League animated movies, like Justice League War. Uh, but uh, still, there are just characters that are more interesting, generally speaking. So Yeah, that's, again, my problem with Batman. But speaking of interesting characters, let's talk about sci-fi shows. And well, hold on. Before we... Get into that, um, which I do want to talk about. Uh, I want to say that um, so next month's death battle is. Oh yeah, we got to talk about next week's death battle. I just want to put a point on this real quick. I don't want to talk about it very long, but so next month's death battle is Twilight Sparkle from My Little Pony versus Raven from Teen Titans, and the reason they're doing it is very obviously we've got two characters voiced by Tara Strong, who's a national treasure, and I will hear no word against that. Um, <laughs> And they're both characters that are very big on magic. They've got similar color schemes, uh, but they have very opposite personalities. So I get the idea. And they've done a pony before when they did Raymond Dash versus... This is the third time. What was the second time? Uh, Deadpool versus Pinkie Pie. Oh, okay. That that doesn't count at all because Deadpool and Pinkie Pie are both um, Toon Force characters that are like separate from their own realities. We still did an episode about it. Sure, but I'm not. I don't personally count it because I knew how that one was going to go from the beginning. Uh, it was not. It was a farce of a death battle, but it was hilarious. Anyway, but the the Rainbow Dash versus Starscream was you know funny because fuck Starscream. I still maintain a giant robot would crush a pony. 
um, in most cases, yes, but the physics of MLP has been proven by Physics Pony to be ludicrous, and plus Starscream is a pansy. So okay, moving on. This is starting no, to cause. No, hold on. I just I gotta have my my point here, which is that uh, you know, Raven is essentially a demon princess. Yeah. And and I would root for her on principle because Raven was kind of like a, a teen crush of mine, but. Again, the pony logic is kind of broken, and I'm pretty sure Twilight's going to end up winning, and I Which don't actually I don't think that. that they belong on death battles. They, it's kind of like Superman. It doesn't... Their characters don't fit the nature of the show. Yeah, I actually generally... I, still, I stand by... And for that, I should clarify. I stand by that bat, uh, Superman beats Goku every time, but that's Obviously. because Superman does not belong. <laughs> well, again, if you're taking two characters and putting them at their peak, then Superman at his peak is pretty much omnipotent so yes and that's why again there are certain characters that just don't belong on that show and i think everything from the mlp roster goes on that list yeah because pinkie pie is basically a god so uh anyway so yeah we can that's all i want to say just put that forward and we can move on so yeah speaking of great characters i think that is one of the defining features of a great sci-fi show is great characters an interesting universe and of course fantastic story and you agree um, not really. I would say great characters is a mark of just good television and good movies in general. For me, what defines a sci-fi, and this is important because it's how you distinguish between a sci-fi and a space fantasy or a space opera, uh, is sci-fi when it's done properly. And I'm talking like old sci-fi, like, uh, Isaac Asimov kind of stuff, yeah. um, is you take one fictional technology, just a technology that you can imagine, and then you construct a world around it like whereas space fantasy just uses technology babble to explain away how the fantasy works science fiction is like let's pick one technology and explore how it affects the world and what a plot might be related to it so uh, i draw a wider <laughs> umbrella and if it's got because I, I i like asimov but i also like some of that pulpier you know uh space fantasy stuff yeah, which is fine. About- I love that, but it's not it's not sci-fi. It's it's much more space fantasy. So why don't you go ahead and talk about your first choice? <laughs> it's funny that I say that because the first one I'm talking about is really less sci-fi and more space fantasy. But uh, <laughs> since it you know falls into this kind of umbrella, I'm gonna uh, Doctor Who. I am a Whovian. I hate labeling myself on fandoms, but it is accurate. Everyone's so. had at least. I- I think both of us have a handful of fandoms that we will say we're, we're, we're fan, we belong to that fandom. I think there's a handful. I would say yeah. Both. Well, I've had in the past, I've had two fandoms that I was part of really bite me in the ass and make me super despised. I still love the, the thing that they are a fandom of, but I've really distanced myself from those and fandoms in general because of those. For the record, I'm not going to go into it, maybe at a future time, but those two fandoms are Undertale and Steven Universe. Things I love, fandoms I hate. Anyway. Go get him. Attack him now. <laughs> uh, I'm just saying, I'm taking my fair share of heat from fandom. Now you can have some. Well, on the converse, on the opposite side, the Dark Souls fandom is amazing. Anyway, um, <laughs> so Doctor Who uh, really is more of a space fantasy, but it, in the beginning, certainly in classic Who, it was more of a sci-fi since it was about um, the technology is time travel. It's very simple. What happens if we have a a guy who can travel through time and let's explore what kind of uh, stories we can tell. And it was usually history stories and, and stories about like what other possible technologies you could see in the future. But as the 
you know, classic who went on. And I'll, I'll say up front, I've seen, a, you know, a number of classic who stories. I'm a huge fan of fourth doctor, which is the objectively best doctor, just like really, uh, and seventh doctor and a couple fifth doctor stories, but I'm not really up. Oh, and I've seen a couple second doctor stories anyway, but I'm not really up on my classic who I am more of a new who fan. I got into it with uh, Christopher Eccleston and then I yes, went back asked when you got on the doctor who, yeah, ninth ninth doctor. It was um well actually I I didn't get into it when it first came out because I didn't hear about it till a few years later. Like tenth doctor was in his third year when I discovered it, and uh, I wait, started. Wait a second, I came to Doctor Who before you did. I guess so. Wow, because I came in uh first season of David Tennant's run, and I went back and I watched Eccleston's run to get caught up. So yeah, I, I was in the, I was like very very near the beginning of the new Doctor Who run. That means you got into it about two years before I did. So wow, that's weird. That that is weird. I I admit I'm surprised. But yeah, I got in. I got in with Christopher Eccleston, and uh, I I still love Ninth Doctor like a lot. Um, but then I went back. Yeah, I I have a Fourth Doctor scarf though that I wear when it's cold, like every day. It was a gift from my lady, um, because she knew I was a big fan, and I I once walked around being a total. Um, I don't know what the right word for this is. Let's go with loser and uh, with a bag of jelly babies. Going, would you like a jelly baby? Um, oh, <laughs> well, that's oh, what happens when someone got me a bag of jelly babies. So yeah, uh, I remember that. Oh, anyway. Um, but so Doctor Who became more of a more of a space fantasy, and I and I love it. Uh, for 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 being that, um, the Russell T Davies run, which is ninth and tenth is uh is great i personally think that um 10th doctor david Tennant gets a little he overshadows a little uh, you know a bit and it really bugs me because i love david Tennant, but i meet so many people who are like you know Tennant's the doctor the only doctor and i wouldn't argue he's the only doctor but and again i he's probably my favorite but the caveat to that is i have very limited experience with the doctors because i tried I think I dropped out near the end of the Matt Smith. I've only got like three real doctors I can base my experience on. I've tried to watch the older Doctor Who, but the effects were just so bad I couldn't. Which is sad for me to hear because there are some, I mean, literally, like if I were making a list of the top Doctor Who stories, then the fourth Doctor story, Genesis of the Daleks, is like top three. Like that's worth watching alone. (laughs) That's what I've heard. The old stuff, I got really good story, but I can't, I'm not enough of a Doctor Who fan to look past the just goofy effects and some of the bad acting to get to the real good meat of the matter. And apparently, I haven't actually seen this one, but a lot of the Doctor Who fandom believes that the single best story in all of Doctor Who is a fifth Doctor story called the, um, it's the Caves of Something. It's the actually the story where fifth Doctor regenerates into sixth Doctor, but uh, I haven't actually seen it, so I can't can't comment on it. I just know that a lot of the Doctor Who fandom thinks that's like the best story. So, but yeah, if you if you don't have much to compare, if you're only comparing nine, ten, and eleven, then um, I, I like nine most of those three, but ten got more. You know, he got two more years to to work with. Yeah. So and I think that I like Tenet so much is that was the one that kind of anchored me to this show. It's like, okay, I really like this guy. I really like this show. And I will kind of admit his send-off was a bit overdramatic. Yeah, but I like that it was, you know, because Ninth's send-off was, like, you know, very happy and victorious, and the, so Tenth's was depressing and sad. and you know, I liked it, but it, at the same time, like, given how short his run was 
retrospectively, it feels really dramatic. Wait, are you saying 10th Doctor's run being short retrospectively? Because three well, years yeah. is pretty much the average for a Doctor. I thought he had only had two years. Nope, three years. First year oh, with Rose, second year with Martha, third year with Donna. Okay, that's right. I don't know why I condensed that down. So I guess right, that actually does make sense. I mean, three years. I thought Smith went on for like four or five, though. Uh, or does on. it just seem uh, that way because they kept cutting the seasons in half? I think Smith Smith's was four years or th- three or four years. I can't remember exactly. Um, because Smith – okay, here's the thing. I get why Matt Smith's Doctor is so popular. I don't uh, explain it. He is – Okay, it can really be boiled down to two things. One, he's fun. He's a lot. He's got the like the fun of Tenth Doctor, but he's a lot more intense. Like I, I read once someone talk about how with the new Doctor Who, you're watching essentially a journey of a a PTSD war veteran. Yeah, and each form is a different kind of stage of what he's going through. Right, Ninth Doctor is the um, kind of, but he's really also the like the warrior learning how to be the Doctor again. Yeah, um, Tenth Doctor is more uh, like the guy who's he's he's found out how to be the Doctor. Like you can make the argument that Ninth Doctor wasn't even really the Doctor yet; he was figuring it out. But Tenth Doctor is he's figured it out, but now he's got to deal with the um, depression and responsibility of what he's done. Like a lot of Tenth Doctor's speeches, because God, he makes a lot of speeches are about how like you know he's the doctor and what his role and you know he's gonna save people or defeat the bad guy so 10th is very big on like you know i'm the one in charge uh 11th doctor is the one who is now um essentially for lack of a better term like the depressed angry old man he's like the grand torino of doctors but he's the one who's trying to uh who doesn't care anymore in a way so like on one hand he's super depressed over what he's done but he doesn't think about it so he tries to cover it up by essentially acting like a child because he doesn't care about coming off as uh wise or anything like that because he already knows he is he doesn't have to uh pretend to be anything he's not but he also is the one with the fewest fucks given up to that point like his first main story not the eleventh hour, because that's a regeneration story. I don't count that. Um, but his first main story with uh, the beast below involves him literally uh, breaking down and yelling at all the humans around him that no human has the right to talk to him, and he was about to mutilate a uh, a creature to try to save it, and basically talking about how humans were, you know, be- beneath him, pathetic. Not those words, but he's he's just this angry yeah. being. So so he has. A high amount of complexity. That being said, he is my least favorite of the new Doctors. I like Matt Smith, I do. Um, but he's just my least favorite. To me, the problem was all that anger and angst and old manness was great, but he looked way too young. So well, I never was, bought it. Well, that was part of the point. But that's also why, um, and I've told you before, you really should pick up and watch Capaldi's because Capaldi is my favorite of the new doctors. Now, storyline wise, he has a lot of stories that aren't as strong as say 10th doctor stories because Stephen Moffat, and this is not news to anybody, but Stephen Moffat is weaker as a showrunner than he is as an individual episode writer. And that's so, why I think I left after Smith because I did not like the way the, the pace of the stories. Was yeah. Off to me. And I totally, I totally understand that because, like I said, Steve Moffat is, is weaker when it comes to showrunning. But Capaldi is such a commanding presence, and he feels like more like the Doctor 
than I think any of the other new guys. Like he's very proper. He's this angry old Scottish man and he can be fun. Like he's got a lot of scenes where he's just playing his like electric guitar and shit. But um, my favorite Doctor Who story, period, is a 12th Doctor story called uh, Heaven Sent. And it involves um, Capaldi's Doctor being in a tower chased by essentially uh, a creature that can only walk towards him and who can only be stopped by, well, I don't want to give away the gambit, but he's stuck in this tower alone with this creature stalking him slowly. And that's like the whole story. And so the entire episode's carried on nothing but his performance. And it is amazing. Capaldi is so good in the role that I feel like he overcomes a lot of the um, writing weaknesses of, of his seasons. Interesting. Because that kind of makes reminds me back to the first, you know, with Ninth uh, and Tenth Doctor. A lot of the times, those episodes were genuinely creepy. Uh, my favorite Ninth Doctor story, and my favorite story up until Heaven Sent, was definitely um, The Empty Child and the Doctor Dances. Which oh, is God, that was, yeah. And that, I think, was really interesting because you at the time, I think, we weren't getting a lot of really genuinely creepy sci-fi, at least in terms of TV. Uh, as far as... Else is out on that time, but I don't remember anything else being like that. Well, as far as creepy goes, I know there's... Another really good 12th Doctor episode is called, uh, I believe, if I remember correctly, Whisper. And the the point of that episode is that Capaldi is talking, and he does this thing at some episodes where he'll like be giving a speech to no one in particular, but it's very obviously like to us, the audience. But since it's the Doctor, you can totally buy him doing this kind of thing. Uh, he's talking about evolutionary biology and how some creatures evolve to be the best at hunting or the, the best at thinking, right? And he goes, well, there's a creature that evolved to be the perfect uh, be perfect at hiding and that's basically the whole episode is he's trying to find this theoretical creature that is the perfect hiding being and it is pretty creepy and pretty awesome see and that, that's interesting. but let's talk about the big one that i think kind of i don't know if this divides the fans as much as i think it does but i've had conversation with doctor who fans and they've kind of you know considered this a divisive topic and do you think they over explained the angels um, I think, yes, I do, but I don't think it's actually that much of a problem. Like, I understand people who are bothered by it, because uh, Blink is easily one of the best uh, episodes of Doctor Who, period, let alone a 10th Doctor episode. Um, and part of what made the Angels super great was how alien they were. I mean, they were very, they're like a very different kind of life. And they were simple. I think that's why they worked so well, you and everything you need to know was in one episode. Now, when Eleventh Doctor brought them back for their first two-parter, I actually really like that one. I especially love that they round back to that story later in the season. Uh, <laughs> Angels in Manhattan was pretty terrible, but... You mean the Statue of Liberty becoming an angel didn't do it for you? Yeah, that was dumb. Um, yeah. But again, I don't think that uh, the explanations of the Angels did anything to harm Blink or that first uh, two-parter with the Angels. So we've got at least three really solid... Uh, Angels episodes, and that's really all I need. I mean, I love the Vashta Narada. They have one story, and I still adore them. And I kind of—they're the shadow parasites from the Silent. Oh Library. yeah, yeah. The Vashta Narada have—they're one of my favorite Doctor Who villains, quote unquote. And I want to see them again, but I also kind of don't. No, I think one episode works fine. 
Yeah. So, so and I, I love know. the explanation they give of why humanity fears the dark. Yes. Yes. Oh, by the way, talking about creepy, I don't think there's a Doctor Who episode creepier than Midnight, which is the one where uh, the Doctor is in like a, a submarine or not submarine, but like a train car on an alien planet, and then suddenly something stops the car and oh yeah, woman and then starts That's repeating. Really- yeah, that is for my money the creepiest Doctor Who episode for me. Oh, there's some real good ones. No, like you said, I've have a debate about getting back into Doctor Who just because I have less shows to follow now. And, and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you right now, man, that since Stephen Moffat is still running the 12th Doctor seasons, you'll see some of those story problems. But Capaldi himself is so good that like he's it's worth it's, it's the I call the Sherlock Holmes syndrome where you watch a Sherlock Holmes adaptation for Sherlock Holmes. Anything else that's good is just icing on the cake. What matters is the actor you have playing Sherlock Holmes. And Doctor Who generally should be more than that because there's a lot going on, but Capaldi's performance is so commanding that it's worth watching just to see him do what he's doing. And you watch him evolve, too. Like He's in three seasons, and there's a very different feeling to what he's doing in each each of the seasons while still understandably being the same character and uh his send-off um not the christmas episode where he left which was uh i forgot what it's called the one that just happened which was actually pretty good but his his actual final real episode um is probably the best season ender since uh of of new who in my opinion in general like of all of them it's my favorite season ender now i may get back around to it for the sole reason of i'm really interested in this new doc uh i'm guessing you're talking about 13th yes well you should be mostly interested because steven moffat left and we have a new head now that could be the push i need is like okay it's a lady doctor which i want to see if they do anything interesting with that and there's a new writer i might be sold i don't know much about jody whittaker but i know that doctor who always goes through you know the cycles of oh the new doctor won't be as good as the old doctor and then eventually all the fans will come around on it i mean the only doctor in the history of doctor who who is considered quote-unquote bad is sixth doctor but he got to be really good in the audio dramas so even he got his like time and same goes for eighth doctor who was in the the tv movie which was terrible that one episode yeah but he got to be in the audio dramas and he's amazing in that too so it's like every doctor who actor has been good you just have to give them the opportunity to do so so i am not really concerned with jodie whittaker being a good doctor i know she will be i'm more interested in this new writer who has done some british stuff that i'm not really familiar with so i don't know what to expect i'll be on the optimistic side at least for doctor who i always kind of have well at least watch like yeah go watch 12th doctor i'm gonna tell you right now like especially you he's an angry old scotsman come on man but if if for some reason it really doesn't that's how do everyone pitches it to me like you'll like him he's angry and old and scottish that's just right up your alley <laughs> it kind of is but uh, if you start watching it and say you're really not into it, let me know and I'll compile you know, a few of the better episodes. But Because Heaven Sent being the best also spoils something right at the beginning. So it's not something you just go in and watch. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I highly recommend watching 12th Doctor, especially if you're going to get back into it. And if you, if you don't like the writing style, it could probably performance doesn't do it enough for you to overcome it let me know and i'll compile the like important episodes for you to watch all right so now we're going to talk about my first choice and i'm going to go classic with one of my all-time favorite uh sci-fi tv shows and that's twilight zone 
Now, while Doctor Who is a space fantasy that we're talking about sci-fi shows and people think it's a sci-fi, Twilight Zone is pure science fiction for my money. It is. It follows that thing I was talking about where every episode's like, let's take one technology or one idea and let's build a story around it. Yeah, and when I was writing this, it was kind of a toss-up for me whether I wanted to talk about this or Black Mirror. I we, just finished Black Mirror. <laughs> okay, I haven't watched all of Black Mirror, um, so before we get into... Actually, we'll, we'll circle around back to it, so let's talk about Twilight Zone first. So I really was kind of, you know, a toss-up, like, which one do I want to talk about? But I decided that Twilight Zone is better because, one, I have more of a history with Twilight Zone. There's mm -hmm. more to talk about with Twilight Zone. And more people have seen Twilight Zone. And I don't know about you, but one of my favorite things to do was every year on New Year's, Sci-Fi ran a 24-hour Twilight Zone marathon. I was I not part of that, no. I would try and stay up as late as I could to watch as much Twilight Zone as I could because that was the one time a year it really came on TV. I mean, I pick up a couple random episodes here and there, but God, do I love that show. Well, you're really going to dominate me in this particular conversation because my Twilight Zone knowledge is actually extremely minimal. I know the famous ones, but I didn't actually watch a whole lot of Twilight Zone. Oh, I watched a ton of this, and it was creepy enough, you know, as a kid to kind of give me the heebie-jeebies, but not totally freaked me out. I mean, there was a couple episodes. Uh, the creature on the wing of the plane one did creep me out. <laughs> okay, you brought that up first. I, I was hoping you wouldn't because I want to tell a quick story about that, but it has to do with a different show, which is just that... Um, so, uh, Creature on the Edge of the Wing, right? That was uh, William Shatner. Yep. Uh, now, when they did the Twilight Zone... I don't know, is it a re... Not reboot, but like the movie Twilight or whatever. Movie? Yeah, they had John Lithgow do that role of the, the Creature on the Edge of the... Pl uh, on the Wing of the Plane, right? And I love John Lithgow. Yeah. He's fucking brilliant so one of my favorite shows growing up third rock from the sun had john Classic. lithgow being an alien and then they're his boss the big giant head is william shatner and their first exchange ever is the big giant head played by william shatner comes off a plane and he's all drunk and he's like i looked out the window and i saw something on the wing of the plane and then dick played by john lithgow goes that's to happen to me too <laughs> I can't believe I missed that Easter egg. Yeah. I've seen that. But no, that one really freaked me out. And it's one scene in particular. And it's when the guy pulls up the window and the gremlin creature is just right there pressed up against the window. That scared the hell out of me as a kid. Classic jump scare. Oh, but no. The budget that this show had to work with is very, you know, low budget. But the stories were so good because, you know, you weren't ever really sure, is this going to have a happy ending? Is it going to have a dark ending? And I kind of liked it, which is almost why I went with uh, Black Mirror. But I think one of my favorite episodes, and it really says a lot about my personal psyche, is it happened on Mulberry Street. Which, uh, is that the one with the kid who's, like, creating a... a false reality? No, that one I'm not such a big fan. It happened on Mulberry Street is the one, it's average suburban America, and all of a sudden, you know, one day, the cars won't start, or the power won't turn on, mm. and people get steadily more and more paranoid. Just electricity goes away? Yes, or the car, and they can't, the cars start, and then all of a sudden, the power will flick back on at one house, and they get more and more paranoid, trying to figure out what's going on. And like it is, essentially. Yeah, and uh, it starts to reach its peak when... There's a guy coming over, you know, they don't know who he is, they can't see what he's got, and they shoot him. And it turns out he just had a hammer, he was from the next neighborhood over, he was coming to see what was going on. <laughs> so now the paranoia is ratcheted up even more, and there's this little kid 
who reads pulp comic sci-fi and he's like, oh, you know, I read about this and blah, blah, blah. I bet it's the aliens. And they start turning on the kid. Ew. And then, so paranoia is really ratcheting, ratcheting up, getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And then power flicks on at one house. Oh, it's so-and-so. Power flicks on another house. Oh, it must be this person. Until it ends with basically the entire neighborhood trying to murder each other. And it zooms out and there's these two aliens sitting on a hill going, that was just one little neighborhood. It took them less than 12 hours to turn on each other. This will be easy. Mm. I'm surprised and they I think this one. It's one of the bigger ones. And I think it really shaped my personality as a person. It's like, yeah, just eliminate a few things for 12 hours and people's paranoia will do wonders <laughs> to their base nature. Well, humans are uh, creatures of habit. And if you take away their routines and their habits, then um, they can react poorly. But I mean, I love the show. The open, it's iconic. And it wasn't afraid to get dark. I mean, there's one episode I don't remember very well because my mom turned it off for obvious reasons. <laughs> it was a ex-Nazi prison guard went back to the internment camp where he'd been stationed and found that the ghost still lived there mm. and murdered him for it. Um, all right. I see no like problem it. yet. Like I said, I don't remember this one too well because this my mom drew the line at this one going, no, this is way too dark. But I think I started asking questions what a uh, concentration camp was. Huh. And that was not a question you wanted to try to explain to your eight-year-old. Yeah, definitely. Wouldn't the, would you say that the most famous, at least as someone who's not a fan of it, it seems to me the most famous Twilight Zone episode is the, um, the last man in the world losing his glasses? Yeah, that's a, that's a, another really good one. And this, you know, this poor guy, he all he wants to do is read, which I can relate to. He can't get any time to himself, and he gets he goes down. I think it's the library bunker gets trapped. He's all excited, and then of course there's the big twist. Everyone's done, but his glasses are broken. I've heard that there are many. Um, that's one of those ones that like people have come up with solutions to for the guy, but I feel like it doesn't take away from the impact of the uh, the story. It's like you know being able to um shut off the logical part of your brain for the emotional impact of a story i think is i mean yes the whatever the story you're watching should help facilitate that that function but still it's you know important for enjoying fiction yeah and it's one of the darker ones but there's also some really light ones that a lot of people don't talk about i mean there's a great christmas one about this homeless guy who puts on a santa costume and you know goes around handing out presents to everybody and just being a genuinely good guy mm. and in the end he's rewarded by getting to become santa <laughs> nice but, it's a real light episode. So for every really dark episode of Twilight Zone you had, you had this really kind of happy, upbeat episode. And the interesting thing a lot of people surprisingly don't know is you know the narrator, the opening guy. Mm -hmm. That was actually the show's creator. Oh, I knew that, yeah. And, well, I mean, now they're talking about recreating it with uh, Jordan Peele directing. I don't think we really need to because... Like you kind of you mentioned Black Mirror and Black Mirror is kind of doing what Twilight Zone does. Like I made a comment when I first was told about Black Mirror, I said that whether I like it or not, I think it's important that we have a show like Black Mirror or The Twilight Zone, an anthology that you know looks at how you know technology and philosophy and, and things like that can you know be uh, explored in fiction. So I, I think those kind of shows are important. So if we had a remake of Twilight Zone, it would have to be – and to, to separate it from Black Mirror, which uh, I want to talk about in just a second, um, it would have to focus less on, I think, the like sci-fi element, which I guess Twilight Zone never really did now that I think about it. Uh, I mean, yeah, it did the whole like you know explore a story with one thing. But like we talk about the um, 
you know, the creature on the wing of the plane. There's no like technology or anything in that that is science fiction. There was a couple. Because one of my other favorite episodes is there's this little old lady who lives by herself and a UFO, a little tiny one, crashes into her attic. And these little, I think like 12 inch little alien dudes come out. I'm sorry, you know, alien robots mm-hmm. start attacking her. And it's this whole episode of this little lady trying to fight back against these little robotic aliens. They're burning her, zapping her, shooting her, doing all these horrible things. And she finally defeats them. And she goes up and looks at the UFO. And on the back, it says property of the U.S. Army. Yeah. Well, so see, that's what I'm saying is that a remake of Twilight Zone, I think, would have to focus on... Um more the philosophy stuff than the actual technology stuff because black mirror is killing it in that particular department okay i want to say i haven't seen all of black mirror on purpose because the the first episode that was shown to me by someone before i knew what it was was white bear and white bear fucked with me like that one's a dark one that one yeah Yeah, afterwards my friend my friend steve and i were just like talking about how fucked it was and it it really like okay i can watch dark shit i watch plenty of dark shit and depressing shit but something about the pure i don't even know what the right word is yeah like the the viciousness of white bear just hurt me deeply and so i was really not inclined to go watch more of it so i i um i read the plot line to the the pig one Uh, i didn't actually watch it that one the very first the technically the very first episode you can skip and not miss anything to be honest yeah but i I do think it's effective at what it's doing but even reading it i was like yeah this this show seems like it might not be too much for me so i kind of pushed it off for a while and then my buddy stevie the one who showed me or uh actually he didn't show me to begin with he's the my friend nil showed me to begin with anyway my buddy stevie who watched the whole thing was like okay (laughs) white bear fucked you up so i'm gonna counter it by showing you what, in his opinion, and I, at least one of the person's opinion, was the most uplifting episode, San Junipero. And so... That's a good one. Yeah, I I love San Junipero, and it got me kind of, like, choking up at the end. Uh, I showed it to my... I showed that You're to my lady. He's a crocodile, though. Uh, I showed San Junipero to my lady, and she liked the story, but she hated the 80s aesthetic. And I was like, ah, oh, because I love the 80s aesthetic. But uh, anyway, and then I watched... USS Callister. I was going to say, you got to watch the Star Trek episode. Yeah, USS Callister was fucking amazing. Plus, it's got uh, the the actor that me and my buddy Stevie referred to as Meth Damon. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, that, that story was, was fantastic. So, uh, Stevie said he'd put together a list of, like, what episodes that I can skip and what ones I should... Because it's an anthology, so it doesn't really matter if I watch it in order. Right? Uh, it does, actually. Well, uh, to a, to a point, I've been told. Like, if I know, for instance... The greater, see, I don't know if I want to tell you or not, because I was told beforehand that I think it enhanced my experience, but knowing you, it might not. Well, I know that Black Mirror started making heavy hints in Season 4 that all of it takes place in the same world. Yes. So. According to the creator, it's all the same world, but different points in the timeline. Yeah, so I'm, I'm already aware of that. The show, so it's kind of fun to go back and try and arrange the order but i know that's not your deal so that might not be for you and i I like continuity stuff like that but i know that uh white christmas or something like that is apparently really good too but anyway i haven't just saying i respect black mirror more than i actually like it and i do if anything i think uss callister and san junipero are alone just great pieces of entertainment and white bear i actually am glad i saw i never ever want to watch it again ever Oh, but, there's way worse coming if you watch the entire thing. 
but it's a it's powerful writing and i and i respect that and so i'm glad yeah. black mirror is doing the things it's doing and i think the reason i like black mirror as much as i do and the reason and it's because twilight zone and that's the reason i chose twilight zone is i wouldn't probably like black mirror as much as i do if i hadn't grown up watching twilight zone which had a lot of this really dark stuff for a kid to watch and again, fantastic show. I'm not sure we need a remake. I mean, Jordan Peele after Get Out, I think he's got the potential to do it, but I'm not sure we need it. But yeah, Twilight Zone. I fully intend to show that to my kids. Well, you know, it's one of those. It's one of those things, right? Because I like. So I, I was talking. I've mentioned this before, but I was talking about music with some friends of mine. I like power metal, and I like power metal because it's uplifting and it's it's powerful. It makes you feel powerful, and they like music that's a lot more depressing right uh, and i understand why and i like to see something really sad and dark and depressing every now and then my favorite movie for odin's sake is slc punk which ends on an extremely depressing note but most often i like stories in my fiction that are uplifting and uh positive because the world itself is already such a fucked place as you put it the darkest timeline that uh, if I'm if I'm in escapism, I see something positive, which is why one of my favorite shows, period, is Star Trek. Like any version of Star Trek, you've heard me make references to Klingons and, and Ferengi several times in the course of recording these podcasts, and because Star Trek is just part of how I developed, right? And Star Trek does that thing I'm talking about, where most episodes of any given series end on a very positive note the you know the crew will figure out a way to win everyone will be happy there are a handful of times though where things don't go that way and i think the fact that they are much more rare almost makes them more impactful because you don't see it coming like you sit down to a star trek episode and you expect the crew to win and when they do good you got to have your fun adventure and when they don't you didn't see that shit coming so all right so if we're gonna talk star trek you know you're gonna have to answer the question right uh picard or kirk yes <laughs> um it depends on what you need what's the job <laughs> so no no uh, no you know the question which do you prefer oh which do i personally prefer that is I... the question that everyone asks when talking about star trek sure i personally prefer picard uh i love kirk kirk is a pirate captain essentially he he swaggers around his ship and he you know <laughs> takes him to these crazy frontiers and kind of imposes his you know, morals onto, onto people. Um, the original Trek, by the way, okay, so I, I love original Trek, but it's the one yeah, I grew I've, up watching with my family. Yeah, I've seen original Trek the least, though, because, so original Trek's main strengths, I would say, are um, threefold, right? One, I would say it has arguably the best written individual stories because yeah. they had to overcompensate for their, you know, shitty budget and shit like that yeah but the effects are kind of endearing in their own way sure but i'd say well, think about that... it like if you show anyone a picture just a set from the original star trek they instantly know what it's from oh i love that uh that old school design i know when i showed my lady uss callister uh for black mirror and it began with that old style she was like tell me the whole episode's not going to be like this and i kind of felt bad because for me i was like i love this anyway whole another topic <laughs> but, um, but what's I mean is everyone instantly recognizes okay old school star trek uh anyway um so second would be what i'm going to call uh the camp factor which um you know when you're a teenager you really avoid like camp because you're edgelord but i still know, avoid it now i know what you're talking about but okay 
I think people who personally or who like actively avoid camp are um, taking themselves a little too seriously, generally speaking. I mean, there are ex- exceptions to everything. I don't know what your situation in regards to this particular conversation is, but I got over that shit and now I adore camp. And that's one of my favorite things when when something can just be itself, right? It, even though it is campy. But uh, three, and most importantly, the original series was not an ensemble show. It was a um, it was three characters. It was um, Kirk, his conscience, and his, uh, what's the word, ego? Uh, The idea being that McCoy and Spock were like the two opposing forces, essentially, in Kirk's brain, metaphorically speaking. So the show was really carried on the strength of those three characters, which are great. But that's actually why I prefer later treks that are more of ensemble pieces. Yeah, like I said, next year, I I like old school Trek because I've been nostalgic. Because both my mom and my uncle grew up watching it. And in turn, when we were kids, we grew up watching it with them. But now, I gotta take it in bits and pieces. Because that camp factor is sometimes just so much. Like, it's here. But Next Generation, again, we grew up watching that. Because, you know, time period and Trek fans. Mm -hmm. But that one I can actually sit down and watch. I can binge. I can sit down and actually watch that one. The effects I've are seen... better, the story's better, and I think the crew, I guess you could say, is more balanced. Okay, I'm gonna you're you're not quite right in my opinion. I wouldn't say the stories are better, because like I said, I think original Trek had the best stories. I mean, it's generally accepted that City on the Edge of Forever is probably the best Trek story of any series, and that's an original Trek episode. But uh overall as a crew and as a series, yes, I prefer the next generation and uh partly like one of the reasons like i love kirk kirk is really fun but picard is a much more interesting character and watching him more rounded um sure but i'm gonna when i say interesting i mean that he so kirk's interesting to watch because you're watching him act like a pirate captain and swagger around beat up the enemies take the girls but picard is uh you know, a, a philosopher, and so you watch him like deal with these these interesting ideas. Now, I know there are some Trek fans who actually prefer the more like shoot from the hip style of the original Star Trek, and you know what? They're perfectly entitled to that. I prefer the more uh, philosophy explorations of. Well, later I think Trek. that's what Star Trek is supposed to be. It's kind of a thought experiment. Like so many of the episodes are, you take something basic. Like we'll take you know the best example I can think of. For next generation was the data debate. That would be, that would be the episode. What is, is consciousness? The, yeah, the episode's called "The Measure of a Man," season and one episode. You put a sci-fi filter over that, and you get to explore that whole concept. And I think that's <laughs> again, this is me personally. Why Picard works better is Picard. I can kind of follow along, and I feel like he's qualified to have this debate. Kirk, I feel like going to get mad and flip the table on me. <laughs> well, okay. To be fair, Kirk is actually really smart. It's just how he goes about things tends to be more um table flipping. Sure, sure. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> Measure of Man is a great example. Usually if you look up like Picard's speeches on YouTube, then his Measure of Man speech about what is sentient life is usually the second or third thing behind uh his most famous speech is in um The Drumhead, where he talks essentially about the dangers of McCarthyism and paranoia. Really good episode. Uh, but yeah, Picard's great. Next Generation is great. I've probably seen Next Generation more than any series. It is not my favorite, but it is, uh, I think, probably the, obj- uh, I don't know the word. It's, it's maybe the most important. Like, original series started it, 
and and the movies. Well, I guess I, I, no, it's not even most important because original series is most important. It's hard to really pin down. I would say that Next Generation is what built on the foundation that the original Trek built and kind of helped the fan base expand and continue. Yeah. That's true. But anyway, so if we're talking, I'm going to skip around a bit for sake of where I want to end this particular discussion. So I'm going to skip DS9 and come back to it in a bit. Uh, Voyager is, I, I like Voyager. I think Voyager is possible. It, it was weak comparatively, but I like that Voyager kind of got back to grassroots because it's, let's take the ship, let's put it out there away from all the Federation and all the lore we've created and just have them encounter new shit every week. And so. In that regard, it's kind of fun and freeing. But yeah, as again, it doesn't really work as an ensemble because the early seasons focus way too much on Tom Paris specifically, and then the later seasons, it's basically the uh, Catherine Janeway and Seven of Nine show. And don't get me wrong, I love Catherine Janeway. If you ever watch Voyager with me, you will hear the phrase "steel vagina" come out of my mouth more often <laughs> than you should. That's not a sexist thing. I'm just saying, like Janeway's awesome. Ah! I'm just having flashbacks to Archer now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so so Voyager's strengths were when it could be creative with whatever new shit they were running into, but its weaknesses were essentially when it was focusing like way too much on um, <laughs> you know Seven and Nine or Tom Paris or shit like that, uh, which is depressing because like Balana Torres, the half Klingon engineer, is one of my favorite Trek characters, and she gets a handful of decent episodes. One of the best Voyager episodes involves. Uh, through science magic, essentially, her getting split into two beings, one that's pure human and one that's pure Klingon, and them interacting with each other. Um, and that is great to explore like what it is to be uh, you know, a mixed race kind of person and feel like you have multiple warring kind of personalities. It's good shit. Yeah, and that I think you hit the nail on the head on why Star Trek is important, is that it is a great catalyst to discuss current social events and topics. It definitely should be. Like I think that's what it's always been. I think when Roddenberry invented it, that was his intention. I mean, you look at the original Star Trek cast, that was the most ethnically diverse show on television. Yeah. It's just too bad that, again, the, the rest of the cast didn't get too much time to shine. But, but uh, you still know him, though. True. True enough. Sulu is as famous as he is. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, but yeah, Star Trek should be... Um, reflective of what's going on in society so so next is uh, enterprise now enterprise i think <laughs> gets unduly crapped on by a lot of even star trek fans because it basically killed star trek for a while uh and enterprise is only four seasons as opposed to the seven and here's the thing every star trek with the exception of the original series has a um a slow start essentially like the first season of next generation with the, a few exceptions like measure a man is pretty not great. Like it doesn't really pick up its stride till like halfway through season two. Uh, Voyager, similar thing. Even that creative stuff I talked about, like the first two episodes or the first two seasons, they spend way too much time with the Kazon, which is a stupid designed alien with a dumb lore. I hate seeing them. Anyway, <laughs> so Enterprise, which is only four seasons, the first two of which are mostly bad <laughs> they've got a handful of good stuff and a handful of great concepts that they do nothing with like there's a character in enterprise who's the helmsman his name is uh travis mayweather and his whole thing is he's a uh, a space boomer i think is what they call someone who was born and raised in space like and this is yeah because this is early he has a whole different culture about him and he because he was raised on a um a freight 
essentially, like a ship that ran very slowly on these long trading routes. Yeah. And they do like two episodes that have to do with that side of his personality and his backstory, which is really interesting. And those episodes are really good, but then they basically forget he exists for the rest of the show, and it pisses me off. But season three and four were actually really good, and that's why I will defend Enterprise, because those two seasons were very good. Um, and it's basically to get into why, it's because season three basically did what DS9 did and had an entire arc where the crew went through some major shit, and then season four did the thing we always want Enterprise to do and make connections to original series and shit. <sighs> anyway, um, now I'll circle back to DS9, which is my favorite Trek, and a lot of Trek fans will say it's probably the best, even if yeah, they like... Yeah, this is the one I hear the most about outside of Next Generation. Yeah, even yeah, if you like Next one. Gen or Original Series more, DS9 has definitely the best ensemble cast. Like, everyone in the cast gets plenty of time. Uh, the, the, the weakest is maybe Jadzia Dax, and they start fixing that a lot in, like, later seasons. Um, it does the... Uh, the arc-long stories, like there's like three solid seasons of the war with the Dominion and how it actually is affecting the Federation. Uh, it has the best villain in Trek. Okay, Khan is great. Everyone knows Ratha Khan, but Gold Dukat from DS9 is okay. That's yeah, a terrible name. No, it's he's a Cardassian. His name is Dukat. I don't care Gold, if you say it fast. It sounds like his name's Goldcock. Gold Dukat. Say it Gold, fast. Gold Ducat. It's three syllables, man. Uh, it sounds like you're saying Goldcock. And Gull is his rank. It's um, a Cardassian rank. It's that makes of, the Goldcock even worse. There's like Bronzecock <laughs> and Silvercock as well. Uh, no. Sorry, I'm, I'm just having terrible them. visions now. Of, moving on. This will we'll get. No, no, we're not going to explore that train of thought. Continue. The other ranks are like Legged, but no, Ducat is definitely the best Star Trek villain period he's in basically the entire series i mean not in every episode or not, i'm sorry not in every episode but he's in he's there throughout he's the impressed. entire yeah and he's important too and he you know he has a relationship with the captain cisco that's important and with kira that's important and he's super fascinating because you see him grapple with his own uh ambitions and he's also one of those villains that's like you understand why he does the things he does he's perfect even, certainly that makes a good villain yeah, well, he's definitely he's definitely evil, but you understand that he doesn't see himself as evil. He sees himself as a hero, actually, and that's what part of what makes him super interesting. I don't uh, even know, but I already like him. Yeah, no, you would love Ducat. He's one of my favorite villains in fiction. Period. Okay, uh, like, do I like him or do I aspire to be him? Because we know there's a difference. Um, you wouldn't necessarily aspire to be him from what he becomes. But I think you, Ulrich, would actually see a lot of yourself in him. And I'm not going to give Space Nine a try then. A lot of a lot of DS9 fans might think that I'm insulting you about that, but I'm really not. Like the the things about Ducat that make him interesting are things that you as a leader, I think, aspire to sometimes. So it's hard to explain without you having seen it. No, I'm gonna give it a try. You should. DS9 is fantastic. It has some of the. It has my favorite Star Trek episode. Period, which is in the pale moonlight, which is literally all about what happens when a good man must compromise everything he believes in for the greater good, and it Ooh. is fantastic. Especially to see essentially a Star Trek story where our captain is both the good guy but also the bad guy, and he does terrible things 
that are justifiable. Like you don't see that kind of shit in next generation, but DS9 really started that messing with it. Really, really good. And I'm not. A, I I like Star Trek Star Trek to an extent, but one, it's always been a bit too lighthearted for me in terms of sci-fi, which. I know it sounds cruel and mean, but I'm a Machiavellian. All the more reason to watch the aesthetic. Yeah, all the more reason to watch DS9. Especially the aesthetic's even different because they're on a Cardassian space station, so everything looks different. Uh, but anyway, um, so DS9, fantastic. It it does the first season is better than the first season of most of the other series, except for original series, which was good from the beginning. But it picks up pretty quickly, and there are very few low points in the entirety of DS9's run. So I, I recommend it more than any other Trek, really. Like, it's important to have a baseline understanding of Next Generation in order to watch DS9, because it plays around with the politics of the Alpha Quadrant a lot. Um, but it, it really just functions. Even the Ferengi, who were jokes of a characters before DS9, suddenly become way more interesting through just one character named Quark, who is amazing. He's just basically a criminal who is part of the ensemble cast. And he's got this like criminal and lawman relationship with Odo that is fucking fantastic. And uh, anyway, I could go on about like I could do an entire episode just talking about what makes DS9 as good as it is. But yeah, I, I recommend it most. All right, I'll give that a watch. Yeah, for sure. So I think that my last choice is kind of the perfect capstone to a discussion of sci-fi shows, and that's Futurama. <laughs> uh, I do want to talk about Futurama. I just want to cap real quick and say that star trek discovery which is still going is fine i'm waiting for it to get better but it's it's pretty good anyway well we'll discuss that when there's more meat to discuss i think yeah yeah futurama, futurama. <laughs> I, I have watched so like futurama was my college show all my college buddies are like uh if we're sitting around the couch and we don't know what to do it's like uh put on a futurama episode just, just pick one at random yes it's a great background show mainly because i think Every one of us goes through a yearly binge of just going back and watching Futurama, and not necessarily all the way through. There are episodes we will skip, and episodes we're like, "Oh, I gotta watch this one." But it really is this great background show, and it works, I think, across such a broad spectrum because it parodies so much sci-fi. Hey, you guys want to all cry? Let's watch Jurassic Bark. Okay, I was gonna save to talk about Jurassic Bark, but I'll, I'll address this one here. I get nothing out of that episode. I think that's a good way to start things. We want to move past this because that means that you uh, you lack something important, I think, in your soul. <laughs> Maybe. That one is not the one that gets me. The one that gets me, and this is one I actively skip, and that is Game of Tones. Which one's that? This one is the one where there is the tone coming throughout the galaxy that's destroying planets, and only Fry remembers it. It's one of the best later season episodes. And what's, Fry what's, is trying to... What, what's the word you're saying? Tone? Like a musical tone? Yes. Okay. And Fry well, is trying to... He's the only one that does it. So they do this whole kind of inception, go inside his mind to try and figure out where he heard it last and where it came from. And he flashes back, and he's back with his family. And he thought that, you know, he was happy to have left them and not deal with them. But when he's there with his family, he remembers... He starts getting nostalgic and he misses his family. He misses being with his parents. He misses being with his mom, and he decides he wants to stay there instead. But he can't, because uh, his memory doesn't exist past that. I do remember this episode. I think I've only seen it a couple times, but I, I, I vaguely remember it. So then it gets to the end, and it's found out that it's actually... Uh, a Niblonian car beeper, because they, they parked their car there on New Year's Eve, 1999, 
and they've been trying to remember where they they left it. And Fry helps them solve it, and they're like, Fry, we can't possibly repay you, but we're going to do our best. And it goes back into Fry's memory, and he's sitting down on the couch with his mom, and he goes, wait, I don't remember this. I wasn't here. And they're like, no, this is your mother's dream. This is what she dreamt every night after you left. Uh, I do remember and this part. Fry's sitting on the couch with his mom, talking with her. He leans over. He hugs her. It flashes back to his mom hugging the air, and then it cuts to Fry hugging the air together. And I, this is the episode that breaks me, and I don't know why. But no, this it, is the one that I have I think, to... It seems pretty obvious to me. That's a very powerful image. By the way, as a side note, did you know that in the original draft of Jurassic Bark, it was his mother they found, not his dog? Oh, God. See, that one, then I could get... And the thing is, like, the first time I watched this one, I'm just skipping through, and I thought it was going to be a Game of Thrones one. I'm like, all right, Game of Thrones! And I watch it, and afterwards, I'm like, oh, God, i got to call my mom. Yeah, yeah. And I immediately go to my mom, like, Mom, I was watching Futurama. Future what now? It's the guy that did The Simpsons. Listen. Well, part of what's <laughs> and I great explained about Futurama, it to her. Well, part of what's great about Futurama is that it can be everything. Like, it, it didn't limit itself in any way. It's like, it's going to be a ridiculous, you know, over-the-top, jokey episode, like the one with the Amazons and Snoo Snoo. <laughs> do it. It's going to be a depressing episode about, you know, uh, coming to grips with your grief of loss, it's going to do it. Like Futurama just went with whatever they wanted to to do, and they didn't stop themselves. And that's, yeah. I think, what makes it so expansive as a show. And I think, again, it is one of the most quotable shows I've <laughs> ever encountered. Plus, uh, John DiMaggio is great. Yes. Yeah. Well, just ask him. anyone, you know, list off one of their favorite uh, Futurama quotes. And again, the snooze one. Please, please, ladies. The soul is willing, but the flesh is soft and spongy. <laughs> I mean, or any of the great Bender lines. Bite I mean, my shiny metal ass. Or the evolution of Zoidberg as a character. <laughs> I also like bite my glorious golden ass. Yes, the there. Fire. I mean, yeah, there are weaker episodes, but for every really weak episode, there are some awesome episodes. And there are some great references. And I think, again, you want to talk... A show that knows its audience. They created not one, not two, but three separate languages that the fans kept solving. Well, I was going to say, like, as an engineer, I really appreciate that um, Groaning and the people behind Futurama, like, they have a lot of, I'm going to say nerd humor, not geek humor, like math jokes like, yes. hidden throughout the series that are not, you know, obvious that you have to, like, pay attention for. So, And I mean, Exactly. It worked. There was humor there for everybody. There was base humor. There's sci-fi humor. There's fantasy humor. There's you know math humor. And was I bummed when it got canceled? Yeah, I thought the movies were good. I mean, one of my. I mean, the movies get degradingly less. But I mean, come on. I do one love the, the um, uh, Bender's game. It was damn good. Yes, I wish I had more D and D. But my favorite joke from that one is: Is that a Hobbit? No, it's a hobo and a rabbit. But they're making a Hobbit. Yes. Come on. And I, again, I think that's one of the best series finales was the final episode they did. Yeah, no, it's spectacular, definitely. I mean, I'm I'm trying to think what my favorite episode is. It, it's hard. I really like um I really like the one where uh Leela uh gets or I should say where Fry dies, gets killed by the giant bee. And then yeah. gets a fucking emotional mental breakdown that turns out to be what it is at the end. Like that episode is hilarious and depressing and like existentially horrifying. I, I like Human Vendor. That one was funny. Oh, 
Uh, that's one of the, um, the anthology, anthology episodes. But just the whole, you know, I wonder if I can eat and go to the bathroom at the same time. Can. I wouldn't advise it. I also love Robot Devil. Any episode with Robot Devil. It's brilliant. Oh, my wife's favorite character is Roberto. And I've made a point. <laughs> anytime, anytime there is a Roberto meme or picture, I have to share it with on Facebook. And if she's somewhere else in the house checking it, I will hear from across the house. <laughs> I mean, just the cast of side characters alone. By the way, the last time I was playing Pokemon, I uh, got myself a Beedrill and named him Roberto. Just because. <laughs> they shall accept our, way, our peaceful ways. By force. <laughs> I mean, this is just such a creative show. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. <laughs> I mean, it harkens back to everything we've talked about thus far. Also, I am a fan of musicals in general. And there was it was funny. There was this time a while back where my buddy Nils looks at me and he goes, Hey, you're the musical guy in our group. And I go, I don't know that many musicals. And then I started listing them off on my finger. And by the time I got up to 13, I was like, holy shit, I'm the musical guy in this group. Yeah, I remember you told me that, and I had to pause and think about it, and it's like, wait a second, because I had a similar situation, but I discovered I like dark musicals. No no show tunes, none of that happy-go-lucky shit. Well, my, my favorite musical for the record is Into the Woods, which I would say is a dark show tune, in a way. So, um, But I you know, also love your Sweeney Todd's and stuff like that. But anyway, point is that even I love even the music in Futurama. Like, the Robot Devil song in Robot Hell is obviously amazing, but... Uh, what stands out in my head is like um, Hermes doing his bureaucracy song <laughs> about the filing. Like, I love that song. <laughs> well, the future has become one giant bureaucratic mess. One of my favorite things about Futurama conceptually, and they did this totally on purpose, and this isn't anything new. People have been saying this for years, um, is that <laughs> it's it's realistic in the sense that all this great technology exists and the people living with it uh take it for granted or it just is right like mm -hmm. like mars is basically disneyland and it's seen as the you know corporate chill of what it is like yeah and so the idea of going to mars is now this like so it's like driving down the street and they treat it like that and that's brilliant yeah or just some of the weird things they predicted <laughs> um like anytime i see you know some new thing about up oh, japan's developing new sex bots I instantly get that PSA in my head. Don't have sex with robots. <laughs> Bender, damn humans stealing all our robot <laughs> robot babes. I uh so Woundvog, who was on uh two last weeks ago. Last well, no, two oh, weeks ago. No, two weeks ago. Uh he has a thing, he's really good at quote at doing the hedonism bot voice. So, <laughs> so every now and then I'll hear him say, I'm gonna go upstairs and put batteries in the things. <laughs> How would I think the uh, network news media would not be having nearly as much trouble maintaining if they had a Morbo? <laughs> Love Morbo. I, I mean, we could sit here for hours and hours just talk about like. I love Calculon. I love the ridiculous soap opera robot. That's what makes him hilarious. Why the only one that feel he's been kind of based off Shatner? Uh, he's totally based off Shatner. Well, him and um, Zap Brannigan, obviously. Oh God, Zap Brannigan, poor Kiff. Well, Zap Brannigan is Kirk, while uh, Calculon is... Well, Calculon's not really William Shatner. He's got Shatner-isms, but he's supposed to be the amalgamation of every soap opera actor ever, right? Yeah. Uh, remember the episode with... Um, what was... It was the Ware Car? <laughs> honk, honk! <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, like, Calculon uh, was a Ware Car, too, when he talks about how he used to be um, 
like a factory arm or something ridiculous like that. <laughs> oh, and okay, I know this is probably isn't that interesting, but we're just going to keep going up because Futurama is so large, it's hard to focus. But the, the episode mm-hmm. where freaking the new robots come out, so Bender has to go get the upgrade. Yeah. And so he has that hallucination about being wooden Bender. Yeah, my favorite line. They shall learn our peaceful ways by force. Yeah. Uh, I, that is a line I would use. <laughs> uh, what about... I, sorry, I actually misunderstood. When you said that before, I thought it was from the episode where they were invading the planet of the balls. But yeah, I mixed that up. But that episode's also really good. Because that's the one about uh, Bender being a bomb. Yeah, so. it's one of the words... We took it from the top five phrases you'd never say. Hmm, is it... Please, Bender, stop trying to blow up the world. Oh, yeah. come on, tell me. John DiMaggio, like I said, though, is, is fantastic. Like, no one can replace Mark Hamill, but John DiMaggio's take as the Joker in Another Red Hood was really good. Uh, I did not like that one, but no topic for another time. And, of uh, course, you know, again, outside of Roberto's line, my wife's other favorite line, which is, again, one we can quote, and this is one that I think you can say, it. anyone will know the follow-up line, is, My leg feels funny! Followed by the sequel line of, My leg feels better! When they're trying to hide from the robot Illuminati. Uh, what about, um, what's the name of the uh, Lure, ruler of the planet Obacron Persei 8? Yes. Love any episode with Lure, and particularly the one where him and his wife are going through uh, troubles. So... <laughs> Human horn. <laughs> exactly. But I just love the, the ending with the, they start getting back together. Right when I get to a safe distance of five miles. Uh, so before we, you know, get off your drama, what is who's your favorite character? I favorite. think this says a lot about people. Well, the character who makes me laugh the most often, I don't know that this necessarily makes him my favorite, but the character that makes me laugh the most often is probably the professor. Uh, like just the ridiculous, like mad science of him <laughs> is amazing to me. Um, I feel like Kiff would be my favorite character if he was in more episodes because I love his neuroticness. Yeah. Uh, but no, if, if you were going to say like a favorite character, I would probably go with the professor. Yeah. See, for me, it's Zoidberg closely followed by Bender. I feel like Bender should be everyone's first or second. Like if he's not your first favorite character, he's going to be your second. Cause he's like the mascot of the show and the most yeah. outrageous personality. But Zoidberg has so many great jokes and he has a really <laughs> interesting character evolution. Hmm. Like, you get to the final few Zoidberg episodes of the series, you get some really interesting facts. Like, wow, Zoidberg is a really interesting character. That he finally finds love with a girl who can't smell. Well, my favorite Zoidberg episode is definitely the one where they go to his home planet so he can mate, and then him and... Um... And they do the Star Trek parody. Yeah, they get the Star Trek <laughs> fight. There's just the great thing where Fry gives his speech. Just like, let's be friends. And then Zoidberg chops off his arm. My arm, you bastard, I'll kill you. <laughs> oh. and then of course and i've quoted this so many times that that ending wait so you have to choose between a life without sex and a gruesome death tough choice <laughs> yes again again futurama what more can we say it's it's kind of um it's like a staple or it's like a column if i was thinking of like the most important shows like for me futurama is okay the objective answer of like most important animation for adults would be the simpsons obviously but i think futurama is better and more interesting because it's more well-rounded yeah yeah and i'm not gonna get on this horse of like shitting on the simpsons latest seasons because i actually think the simpsons is still good it's just not relevant anymore which is kind of sad because the episodes are still funny but futurama is just it's kind of perfect 
for for what it's trying to be. Exactly, which is why Edenheim's like, oh, we should bring Futurama back again. Like, no, it ended perfectly. Leave it be. Also, uh, Billy West is probably the objectively like best voice actor working today. I because mean, of the diversity, and he does half the voices on that show. And he doesn't get nearly enough credit. Do you know that? So he voiced Bugs Bunny in Space Jam, and yep. the and the company, uh, Warner Brothers, wouldn't give him a ticket to the premiere. Voice actors get screwed something royal. But yeah, but it's like up. it's like arguably <laughs> Bugs Bunny is arguably more the star of that movie than any other character, even Michael Jordan, and you won't give his fucking voice a, a seat. They finally did, but they gave him one that was like in the bleachers. It's like Billy West is is goddamn important, and you should give him the respect he deserves. No, voice actors are getting screwed over. But we're running long, so let's move on to our suggestions. Um, okay. I think I will start and use our whole discussion of voice actors as my lead well, off, my first one. Okay, sure. Uh, Critical Role, which for those of you who don't know, is a D&D live stream on Geek and Sundry. It is the D&D live stream. Done staffed by voice actors dm by matt mercer which the whole reason i even looked into this was because i think a couple weeks back you suggested D uh podcasts to listen to mm-hmm. and we've been talking about doing our own D game I'm like okay i kind of want to brush up on my D knowledge and give this a try no that's I good I, like, I, I still plan things. i'm sorry i kept talking over you but yeah i still plan for us to do our D thing i just i uh, i want to do a few it won't be for probably for a couple months, but I still plan for us to, to do that. So, Yeah. No, and, you know, I just thought I said I want to start listening to this. It was something to listen to, and it's really, really good and really, really funny. No, Critical Role is is the D&D podcast. Like, it's the big one right yeah, now. Yeah, that's my takeaway. If you want to look into a D&D podcast, start with Critical Role, because the voice actors add a level of, I guess, professionalism to it, because I they can do the varying voices. I wouldn't say start with it, personally. Uh, if you're already interested, yeah, Matt Mercer is a great DM, and his players are great. Uh, I actually haven't watched a whole lot of Critical Role. I've watched a little bit, but I have a bunch of other... Like, right now, I'm super into Dice Camera Action, which is Wizards of the Coast's official D&D stream, and I'm on, like, episode 67 of that. But when I catch up with that... Critical Role was next on my list, but I watch all of Matt Mercer's DM tips video, like videos. Matt Mercer is hilarious and great, and uh, alone makes you know it worthwhile. But if you're gonna start with um uh, like a D and D thing, I'd actually say Harmon Quest is the best to start with because it's the easiest. <laughs> uh, to I haven't watched Harmon Quest yet. I need to. Yeah, you you do because it's it's less they um you know it's it's very tightly edited to get rid of like all the extraneous. Uh, mechanics and stuff it's made for an audience not familiar with what's going on so i think harmon quest is the best way to start but critical role is definitely what you build too because it like like i said it is the D stream right now. yeah so uh, what's your suggestion for this week uh well since we're talking about space stuff uh sci-fi ish i actually want to talk about a band that i'm really into um that's not very well known it's called helion prime it is a uh, power metal band, and they are only like two years old or something like that. Uh, maybe three years. I discovered them. And if if the name doesn't ring any bells, uh, they're literally named after a planet in the Chronicles of Riddick, and that is not. That's why that sounded so familiar. 
And that is not a um, coincidence. They have a song called Keep What You Kill that is about yeah. the Micromongers. So, and I'm not even a huge fan of Riddick, but these guys, this band is really, like if you're into power metal at all, uh, give them a shot. They have one studio album out. It's their self-titled debut album, Helium Prime. And um, they've changed singers since that album. Uh, and I look forward, they're coming out with a new album this year. I look forward to hearing what they do. But uh, but yeah, if and if you just want like a taste, they have a, a music video for a single called um, uh, Life Will Find A Way or uh, Suddenly It Escapes Me because I'm actually not a huge fan of the single. But more, more uh, interesting would be... Um, Look up Ocean of Time or Through the Black Hole. And yeah, all their songs are about like space stuff. And it's, they all sound epic and the kind of things that like I would imagine listening to while piloting like an X-Wing or something. It's it's good stuff. Yeah, so yeah, essentially if you like any of the topics we've talked about today, it sounds like they're a good band to listen to. If you're into uh, metal, I would say. So well, give it a try. You might metal is more diverse than people give it credit. I think. Yeah. Like I said, Ocean of Time is my personal favorite song of theirs, but uh, Through the Black Hole and um, Apollo is another one of their great songs. Uh, yeah, if you type in Helium Prime, just the name of the band, you'll get this the music video for their single first. And their single is good, but it's probably one of the less good songs on the album, so look up those other ones instead. I would say. And my other suggestion for this week, I feel like isn't so much a suggestion because I kind of like everyone has watched this at this point. But given that I only discovered this, I think, last year, I'm going to suggest Community, which is easily one of my top five favorite shows of all time. I remember I talked a little bit about Community um, in, like, our first episode, I think, because I was yeah, watching it at the time. Yeah, just started watching it. Yeah, I, uh, I haven't watched it in, like, a month or so, but I was in the early episodes of Season 3. Season 3 is a good one. But, no, if you are a fan of anything, if you are, this is basically the creator of Rick and Morty. And yeah, the writers of Captain America Civil War and First Avengers, First Avenger, and the upcoming Infinity War made a hilarious off-the-wall nerd comedy. Plus, Dan Harmon's also the guy behind Harmon Quest and Harmon Town. I mean, yeah, so if you like any of these things, you have to give community a try. I feel like most people already have seen this, but I discovered it. I loved it. Um, the first three episodes are a bit rough, but if you get through them. The show goes great. And the I would final... say, personally, sorry, I would say the first season is rough. Like, the first season is perfectly enjoyable, but season two, it really figures out what it's doing. And Season, season two, two is probably the best season. And I would say the final season, again, I honestly say, for most people, you can skip all of season six, but watch the very last episode because it's a great send-off to the show. And it resolves one of the biggest ongoing plots in a way I wish more shows would. That's all I will say about it. I've I was gonna watch I'm gonna watch season six definitely, but I have debated skipping season four because that's the one where uh, they fired Dan Harmon and then it did poorly and then they hired him back and I feel like I want to skip it out of solidarity. I'm not going to. I'm gonna watch it so that I can. It's it's okay, but you do notice the drop in quality. So no, those are my suggestions. I really like I said great show. Well, I'm gonna add. I'm gonna add as a suggestion, even though it's not officially a suggestion. We already talked about it. Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. Yeah, I think we. Are, I'm gonna definitely give that a try. So again, thank you for listening. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe. We are now on Twitter at at Geeks and Shields. So go subscribe there for all your filler between the episodes. Uh, please leave a comment down below if there's something you'd like to hear in a future podcast. As always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich. 
and his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time and stay honorable.